Thank you, Scott. Good morning. Hey, go ahead and open your Bible, if you have one, to John chapter 1. That's where we'll get to in just a minute. Again, welcome to Centennial Church. If you're our guest, so glad that you're here. Um, There's a little prayer card in front of you. There's also a place to put your prayer request on our CC app, if you have that. And also, in terms of our sermon this morning, if you are a note taker, I want to remind you that on our CC app, uh, under the sermons section of our app, you can find uh, the notes for today's message and also uh, for your community groups, uh, some discussion questions. Those are designed for groups, but they're also good for personal reflection as well. So just want to remind you of that as we kick off uh, this series this morning. If you're not aware that those things are on our CC app, uh, please take advantage of those uh, if you like. It was about a century ago that a man by the name of James Allen Francis wrote these words. All the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. That one solitary life. And whose life is that? Well, of course, it's the life of Jesus. That's what he is referring to. That one life that has affected this world, that has affected our lives, that has affected history, that we date time by the life of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're kicking off a a new series that will take us through the summertime where we are focusing on the life of Jesus and people, various people's encounters with Jesus. And the amazing thing, the unique claim of Christianity, the unique strength of Christianity is that what we propose to the world in Christ is not a power, it is not an ideology, it is not a 10-step program, but it is a person, a person, Jesus Christ. Christianity is the most personal, relational religion in the world because we claim that the centerpiece of our faith is, again, not a power, not a philosophy, but a person who has come in the flesh. And so we follow not an eightfold path or just commandments that are given to us, or even we, know, we don't just seek some experience that will get us to utopia or some state of nirvana, but we follow a person. God has come to us in the flesh and Jesus, and so we need to be reminded as believers, and we certainly need to point our friends and neighbors not to a system of thought, but to a person, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we are going to do over these next week is, as we always do, but particularly through this series, to focus our eyes upon Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I met Jesus. I was exposed to Christianity because I grew up in a Christian home. But I, even for us Christians, I don't, I don't think I was taught this, but somehow subliminally, subconsciously, or, or maybe by modeling or something, I, even as a believer... I thought you kind of get Jesus, you come to Jesus, you believe in him, and then you kind of grow through personal discipline or studying the scriptures or just various kind of practical 
uh, steps. But actually, what the Bible would teach us very clearly, I think, is that you come to Jesus in faith, but you also grow in Jesus by continually coming back to him. You never outgrow the gospel. You never accept Jesus and then move on to the Apostle Paul or move on to spiritual disciplines. We are constantly coming back to Jesus, as Dave showed us last week in Hebrews chapter 12, looking to Jesus. If you want to run the race of faith, you have to continually run it by looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we want to focus our eyes upon him. We want to make sure that our friends and neighbors, that they see that what Christianity has to offer is not, as I said, just some system of thought or some ideology or some commandments, but God in person came to us. And so that's where we're headed. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at the Gospel of John. And uh, in contrast to what we typically do, we're not going to work all the way through every verse of the Gospel of John, but we're going to key in this summer uh, on one-on-one encounters with Jesus. So today we begin at the end, actually, of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, the end of chapter 1 of John's Gospel. And through the coming weeks, we'll just look at these places where Jesus meets people personally. We all know that Jesus is a teacher. We all know that he's a miracle worker. Uh, But what's fascinating is not just that that God has come to us in a person, but he has not just uh, taught from a mountainside or from a boat at the lake, but he has met people one-on-one and they have encountered God himself, God in the flesh. So we want to look at him. We want to focus our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's not just actually in the the pulpit on Sunday mornings, but actually all of our small groups uh, this semester, actually our men's Bible study is is study. Both of our men's Bible studies are working through the gospel of Mark right now, also in Jesus. Our ladies' Bible study will kick back up in June, ladies, but they're going to be, you all will be looking at kind of the attributes of God. Our morning class, our nine o'clock ABF class are also traveling through the gospel of John. They're a bit ahead of us. So as an entire church family, we are focusing up on the gospels in this season and looking again, looking afresh at Jesus, the God in flesh who has come to us. So John chapter one, and we're going to begin today in verse 43, verses 43 uh, through 51. I'll read the beginning part of it and then we'll... uh, See what we uh, find here. So, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And we'll stop right there for now. You could say that Nathaniel is a skeptic. We see that there in his response to Philip. Can anything good from, come out of Nazareth? And we'll look at why he says that in a minute. But point number one today, this morning, is that there are skeptics. 
And in Nathaniel, we meet a skeptic, someone who has a raised eyebrow about the claims of Jesus or Christianity in the scriptures as well as today. There are skeptics. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with that uh, wonderful blockbuster movie, Forrest Gump, right? And there's a scene in Forrest Gump where you'll probably remember this, where Lieutenant Dan is talking to Forrest and in conversation with Forrest, Lieutenant Dan looks at him cynically and says, have you found Jesus yet, Gump? And Forrest says back memorably, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. Is that pretty good? Uh, and Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan continues, he says, that's what all these cripples at the VA talk about. Jesus this and Jesus that. Have I found Jesus yet? They even had a priest come and talk to me. He said, God is listening. And if I accept Jesus in my heart, I would get to walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear what I said? Walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. Well, kiss my crippled behind. God is listening. What a crock. Now, you could say that Lieutenant Dan is a skeptic about Jesus. And Nathaniel was a skeptic about Jesus. And if you read your New Testament close, closely enough, you will find that Jesus divides. That some people love him and some people hate him. That some people in our Bible study on Friday morning uh, in our men's Bible study, we saw that some, some wanted to kill Jesus. But you'll also find as you read the New Testament that many of Jesus' closest followers, gave their life for Jesus. Some people today stub their toe and they curse his name. Others believe that Jesus is the name above all names. So whatever you think about Jesus, as you read the New Testament, you'll find that people's experience of Jesus was not neutral. They weren't just kind of in the middle that most people were either hot or cold. Again, they wanted to kill him or they eventually died for him. But there's really no one in the New Testament, there's really no one that meets Jesus and just kind of scratches, your head, scratches their head and thinks, oh, that's nice. You know, that's something to think about. That's an option. No, Jesus divides. He is either God in the flesh, the Son of God, or others who say he is crazy and it is a crock as Lieutenant Dan would say. But Jesus doesn't allow this neutrality. He doesn't allow just this head scratching. Hmm, that's interesting. He either is who he says he is, or he's something crazy, something, someone lying. But are you aware for Nathaniel and for yourself and for your neighbors and for your coworkers and for your friends that the Bible... And God himself is sympathetic to doubters and skeptics. Are you aware of that? Because here Jesus meets a skeptic and Jesus is surprisingly gracious to him. Surprisingly friendly to him. And if you look in your, throughout the scriptures in just a few places, obviously the first place, and I talked about this a few, few weeks ago as we talked about Easter, the most famous one is that guy named Doubting Thomas, right? Forever known as a doubter. 
Because he said to his friends, if, if, if I can't touch his hands, if I can't see the holes in his hands, if I can't touch his side, then I'm not going to believe. And what does Jesus do? Jesus appears to that doubter. He appears to that skeptic Thomas, and he shows him. He gives him some evidence. But beyond just Thomas, we also see, if you, you can look these up later, but John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11. Uh, John the Baptist has been the forerunner of Jesus, but in Matthew chapter Chapter 11, John the Baptist is getting ready to lose his head. And as he sits in jail, he tells Jesus' followers, he said, would you please go back and ask Jesus if he is really the one or if we should be expecting someone else? (laughs) Now, here's the forerunner of Jesus in jail, not probably what he thought was going to happen if he proclaimed the Messiah, getting ready to get his head chopped off. And he says, I don't know. I mean, this doesn't seem to be working out really well for me. I mean, I know God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, but I didn't think I'd be sitting in jail. Tell me if this is truly the one. Have I made a mistake here? And even the disciples themselves in the Great Commission, the passage that you've probably heard a lot, the Great Commission as Jesus ascends, he gives those followers that, that command, go and make disciples of all nations, right? But Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, before he gives them that charge. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But the next phrase says, but some doubted. He's getting, he's giving them this commission to take the world. And it says some worshiped him, but some doubted. There was doubt even amongst those closest to him. And finally, Jude uh, verse 22, Jude just has one chapter. So it's Jude 22 says this, have mercy on those who doubt. And so let me remind us this morning to have mercy on those who doubt, to have mercy and patience on skeptics and those that scratch their heads and those who may have difficult questions and those who might not yet buy it or might in fact think, what a crock. There are skeptics and Jesus comes for skeptics and we'll see how he deals with with this one skeptic, Nathaniel, as we go forward here. So there are skeptics. Point number two, Jesus comes from Nazareth. Jesus comes from Nazareth. That is Nathaniel's biggest objection. He says, wait a second. Philip says, we found the one that the Old Testament points to. It's one that Moses wrote about, the prophets talked about. We think it's Jesus. And Jesus is the son of Joseph. He gives him this human identity. His father, we know, we, we know that it's his adoptive father, Joseph, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel can't fathom from Nazareth. The hero, the king of Israel, is going gonna, is gonna to come from Nazareth. Nazareth is this nothing place. Historians and archaeologists tell us that the best guess that Nazareth at the time of Jesus could have been over 2,000 people, probably less than that. And some say it could be as few as just a few hundred people from Nazareth. And yet Jesus comes from Nazareth. My first year of college when I went to Oklahoma State University, go Pokes, uh, when I, was, I joined this pledge class, this fraternity, and there were 26 of us that started in this pledge class, and there were guys from all over the state of Oklahoma and Texas and way up in Wisconsin and everywhere. But you, you enter this freshman year, and you, you all live on the same, uh, same level of this house, and, and uh, you're going through this pledge ship together. And there were guys from everywhere. We had, uh, like I said, all over the place. We had one guy who was actually Vietnamese. We had a lot of guys who were from Jinx. It was the big high school, it was a school that I came from. 
back to back to back to back to back football state championships. We had another group of guys, about four of them. They were from Lawton, Oklahoma. Lawton's a military town. So the Jinx guys thought the guys uh, from Lawton's were, were thugs. Uh, the guys from Lawton th- thought the Jinx guys were snobs and preps. Um, there was also some guys in our pledge class. There were two guys in our pledge class named Rick. One of them, whose name was Ricky Rainey. And Ricky Rainey was from Elk City, Oklahoma. And he talked like he was from Elk City, Oklahoma. And before I went to OSU, I didn't even know there was an Elk City, Oklahoma. But Ricky Rainey was from Elk City, Oklahoma. There was another Rick in our pledge class, and his name was Rick Holmes. And Rick Holmes is probably one of the coolest guys in our pledge class. But Rick Holmes was from Nowata, Oklahoma. I didn't say no water. I said no water. And that's how it's spelled. No water, Oklahoma. And before I went to Stillwater, I had never heard of No Water, Oklahoma. But here's Rick, this cool guy. He's from No Water, Oklahoma. How could someone so cool come from such a backwater town? All of us, like Nathaniel, if we'll admit it, have some snobbery about where we're from or where other people are from. It's just natural. Uh, if you remember back to your sociology class, my professor called it ethnocentrism. Most of us just call it bigotry, right? He's from Lawton. He's from Nowata. So what do I do? I'm from Jinx and I look my nose down at those places. Happens here too, doesn't it? People in Frisco look their nose down at people from Plano. People from Plano look down their nose at people from Frisco. And people in Prosper look down their nose at everybody. (laughs) Just kidding. People from Texas look down at the non-Texan people. And if you've ever been to other events, you'd be people that are (laughs) non-Texans look down at Texans. Right? This is part of who we are. Conservatives look down at liberals. The liberals look down at the conservatives. And this kind of dismissiveness that Nathaniel had, and that you and I, if we're honest, will admit, this kind of dismissiveness, this kind of condescension, is terrible for building understanding and for having relationship and for having dialogue and conversation or investigating what might be truth. It kills understanding. It kills relationships. It kills discovery. It kills dialogue. And yet Jesus comes from Nazareth and Nathaniel says, I don't even want to consider that. I don't even want to think about it. And yet he, he says that objection. And yet what does he do? Something inside him says, well, I'm still going to go check it out. So he does kind of go and consider Jesus, but it's surprising, and it, the Bible meant it. God meant us to to be surprised that Jesus would come from Nazareth. It's shocking. Why not Jerusalem? I mean, if you're going to be the king of Israel, why not come from David's city? Why not come from Jerusalem? Better than yet, if you're going to claim to be the savior of the world, why not come from Rome? But the good news is Jesus comes from heaven, from heaven's throne, eternal, infinite, but Jesus, as he, con- as he condescends, as he comes in his incarnation, comes to Nazareth, to the small places, to the little people, 
He comes in ways that you and I wouldn't guess, that you and I wouldn't suspect, or in ways that we wouldn't write it ourselves. So in another movie, that movie, Jesus Christ Superstar, Pilate says this. Pilate, the governor, says, who is this broken man cluttering up my hallway? Who is this broken man cluttering up my hallway? Who is this unfortunate? The soldier says, this is Christ, the king of the Jews. And Pilate answers, so this is Jesus Christ, I am really quite surprised. You look so small, not a king at all. Because kings don't typically come from Nazareth or Nowada or Arkansas. That was a joke. But Jesus, the king, comes from Nazareth. He comes from where we wouldn't expect. He does things that we wouldn't expect. He touches lepers. He washes people's dirty feet. He loves those that we wouldn't expect a king to love. A couple of examples just from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament and in ancient cultures, most of you are probably familiar with the the eldest son gets the inheritance, right? The eldest son gets uh, the prominence as the firstborn. But as we look in the scriptures, what does God do throughout the Old Testament? He often overlooks the firstborn and chooses the lesser. Think about Jacob, who Nathaniel, we're going to see in our passage here. Jacob, not the firstborn, but the secondborn. Jacob actually called the cheater, the deceiver, The one who grabbed Esau's heel, the one who took his birthright. And God is showing us, not just in Jesus, but all throughout the scriptures, that he's from Nazareth, and he chooses people from Nazareth, and he chooses not the prominent, not the first, but the forgotten. A couple weeks ago, I reminded us also, King David. Samuel's coming, and he's going to anoint the king of Israel, and and he's asking Jesse, bring me your sons, and is it this one? No, it's not this one. Is it this one? No, it's not this one. And they don't even have David, you know, up on the platform. He's out in the field somewhere, and and God picks David, the last, the least. He comes, the king comes from where we wouldn't expect him to come. He does what we wouldn't expect. He loves people that we wouldn't expect. In the New Testament, We find as we look at Jesus that he's hanging out, who, with the up-and-comers? No, he's constantly criticized as as a friend of sinners and drunkards and gluttons, right? He's hanging out with those from Nazareth. He's hanging out with those of disrepute. The king from Nazareth? Surely nothing good can come from Nazareth. And let me tell you, hang, hang with me here. Let me tell you what this means for us. Let me explain to us why this is good news for us. Because if you value this morning, as I know you do, if you value this morning, the vulnerable, the weak, the disenfranchised, the migrant, the less gifted, You value them. The basis for their value comes from Jesus himself who loved the weak, who loved those from Nazareth, who loved the disenfranchised. 
Jesus and Christianity is, is the foundation for that value. See, in the first century, in ancient times, you, you didn't waste your time. You didn't waste your money on the disenfranchised, upon the weak or the women, in fact. But God elevates and Jesus gives value to the weak and to the vulnerable. And in a world like ours, that's constantly about bigger and stronger and more beautiful, the good news of Jesus is that he comes from Nazareth and he loves the smaller and he loves the weaker and he gives preference to the vulnerable and the weak and the poor. That's good news. Tim Keller says it like this. God always works through men or boys nobody wanted. Through women or girls that nobody wanted. He comes from Nazareth. And he loves the weak. He loves the vulnerable. He loves the disenfranchised. We read on verses uh, 46 through 51, the rest of the story there, Nathanael has given his objection. Verse 46, Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So, Nathaniel registers this objection. And what is Philip's response? Come and see. And take, take note here, notice, underline this, notice that Philip doesn't argue with Nathaniel about his objection. He doesn't give him a history of prophecy or a history or try to elevate Nazareth. He just says what? Come and see. Come see for yourself. Come, come check it out. There's a lesson for us here. There's a strong lesson for us here. As we try to name the name of Jesus, as we try to uh, share him with friends and neighbors and coworkers, unbelievers, unchurched around us, there's going to be objections. And there could be objections about evolution. There could be objections about sexuality. There could be objections about hell and how could God ever send anyone to hell and judge people, all those things. But there's a wonderful lesson here that Philip gives us. And he just says, come and see. Come and look. Come and see for yourself who Jesus is, what his claims are. There's a time to answer objections. But there's also a priority here of just getting people to Jesus so that they can see Jesus for themselves. How do we do that? How do we do that today? Let me offer just a, a few suggestions. The best thing that you can do, you're skeptical today, you've got a family member that's skeptical, you've got a neighbor that's skeptical, the best thing that you can do 
is get them to read the scriptures, particularly to read the gospels. Say, hey, I know you have objections. I just want to challenge you to read the scriptures. All around our world this morning, all around our world today, people, particularly in other parts of the world, are having dreams and visions about Jesus. Jesus is appearing to them. If you read the books, if you hear the reports, Jesus is appearing to people in dreams. And then they, they get scriptures or they meet a preacher uh, out uh, on the streets or whatever. And they connect their dream to the scriptures. They connect their dream to Jesus and what God has left to us in the Holy Scriptures. We think, hey, if I'm smart enough and have I got enough evidence and you know, uh, can argue someone to Jesus and Man, the most powerful thing we can do is have them open up the Gospel of John, perhaps, and just begin seeing Jesus. Just remember that. Just say, come and see. Come and see. Uh, What's a step better than that is not just getting them in the Scriptures, but reading the Scriptures with them. Just say, hey, would you meet with me uh, during lunch hour? Would Would you come over once a week and just start reading the Gospel of John with me? This is what I did with a neighbor of ours. Uh, a while back. I just, he had a lot of questions, never really kind of grown up in church or whatever. I said, let's just get together and let's just start reading through the gospel. We were actually in the gospel of Mark. And so we just started reading the gospel. He placed his faith in, in Christ as we did that, being exposed to the scriptures, began attending church. That's another thing that you can do. Come and see, come with me. Just come to church where, you're, where you will hear Jesus expounded, where you will see the, the scriptures opened and, and preached. Come and see. Finally, you can share your story. This is what I've seen in Jesus. But get people to the scriptures where they can see Jesus. There's a uh, tool that we have out on the Connection Center. It's a little booklet called The Story. And I encourage you to pick one of these up, keep it in your car, keep it in your work bag, whatever. Have it with you if you ever need to give it to someone. It's a great, quick little booklet that shares the story of Jesus, the good news. I encourage us all to have these these handy. Come and see. Come and see. So, Nathaniel, he has this objection. Philip says, come and see. And then, verse 47, Nathaniel's going to check it out. Even in spite of his objection, he says, he's, Jesus says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How did you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. This skeptic, and sometimes as skeptical as people are, there's still this space in them. If they'll think about it enough, well, I'm skeptical and I have some thoughts, but at least this shows that Nathaniel at least had some desire. Well, I'm not totally certain about my objections. I'm not totally sure about my skepticism, so I'll go and check it out. And even if there's a glimmer of hope, a a light, that they might come and see and investigate further. And look, Jesus, look at how gracious Jesus is to him. He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What is he saying there? Why does he give Nathanael this compliment? Well, Nathanael's being honest. He's, 
hot or cold, and he's saying, I've got this objection, and, and, and Jesus looks at him, and he calls him an Israelite. Now, he's going to compare, in verses 50 and 51, Nathaniel with this guy named Jacob in the Old Testament. Read later, verse, chap, uh, chapters 27 and 28 of Genesis, the story of Jacob. And Jacob is this guy that's known for being deceptive. He's known for being a liar, lied to his brother, lied to his dad, lied to his father-in-law. And Surely, Nathaniel knows this story, and, and Jesus said to him, here is a guy, Nathaniel, who's not trying to deceive. He's just a straight shooter. He puts it out there that he's got an objection, and Jesus says, I like that. I can work with that if you'll just be honest with me. And so he says, he's, it's, it's a play on words, really. He's saying, here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Remember, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. This undeserving Jew. God says, I'm going to work through you. And so Jesus is saying, here's this Israelite in whom there is no deceit, or the King James Version says, no guile, no pretense. He's a straight shooter. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you before Philip called you under the fig tree. And that is all it took for Nathaniel to change his skepticism to faith. Now, the question is, the curious question is, what in the world was, Philip, was Nathaniel excuse me, doing under that fig tree? What is it that Jesus saw Nathaniel doing or thinking or praying under that fig tree? We have no idea, do we? John has left it out. Maybe John didn't know. All, all, all we know is that it was something so powerful that it turned Nathaniel's disbelief to trust. What was it? Was it a prayer? Was it, God, if you would just show up, give me some evidence, I'll believe? Was it sadness? Was it grief? Was he, was he under that tree grieving? Was he crying? Was he under that tree guilty? Was there something that he, that he had done that he was so guilty about? Was it a good deed that he had done? Was it a bad deed he had done? Was he under that tree shameful? We don't know. All our guesses are exactly guesses. But what Nathaniel realizes is that this guy, this guy from Nazareth has seen deep into my heart, has seen me, and still has come after me. He's seen all about me, and yet he still loves me. That's the truth for you and me. Before you came looking for Jesus, he saw you. He was looking at you. He sees deep into your heart. Yeah, even that junk that you don't want him to see, even that stuff that I'm not proud of, Jesus sees it. And still, he comes for the skeptic. Still, he comes for the shamed and the dirty and the guilty, for the sincere, for the person that's just praying, God, show me. Jesus sees us to the core and loves us to the skies. In spite of our doubts, in spite of our sin, in spite of the bad parts of our story, he sees us and he loves us. We see this elsewhere, of course, throughout the scripture. Jeremiah chapter one, remember the prophet Jeremiah. God says to him, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I called you. I appointed you. Rick shared that passage from Ephesians chapter 1 earlier during song that says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And it says in verse 3 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us. What is he saying? He's saying, I see you. I know you. Nathaniel, I chose you. He loved us. He saw us before we ever saw him. Jesus sees Nathaniel, and then Nathaniel sees Jesus. And Jesus says the last part there, verses 50 to 51, he's basically saying, you think that's cool? That I saw you under the fig tree? You're impressed by that? Think about this. Truly, truly, this is Jesus. In the Gospel of John, this is his first truly, truly, or maybe you heard it growing up. Verily, verily, I say unto you, right? This is Jesus first, verily, verily. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you think that's big stuff? You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What in the world is he talking about? Again, it goes back to this guy named Jacob, who was a deceiver, Genesis 27, 28. He flees from his homeland in 28. He's he's going off and he sleeps. And during his sleep, in Genesis chapter 28, he has this vision, he has this dream, and heaven is open and he sees this ladder, Jacob's ladder, and angels are ascending and descending up and down the ladder. And that's the same words that we have here. And Jesus is the son of man, the son of God, the Messiah is saying, you think that's great? You're gonna see me ascending and descending. What is Jesus saying? He's just, he's saying, I'm the ladder. I'm the one that stretches from heaven to earth. I'm the ladder that takes people from the earth to heaven. I'm the gate, Jesus will say elsewhere in John. I'm the gate, I'm the way, I'm the bridge from earth to heaven. Jesus saw Nathanael and then Nathanael saw Jesus. Jacob names that place where he has that vision where he sees that he names it Bethel, which means house of God. Jesus is saying, I'm Bethel. I'm the new house of God. I'm the one who's tabernacling, who's dwelling among you. Jesus sees Nathanael and then Nathanael sees Jesus. Jesus comes from Nazareth. He comes for people from Nazareth. He sees you. If you're doubtful this morning, if you're skeptical this morning, Jesus sees you. If you're guilty this morning, Jesus sees you. Have you seen him? Have your eyes been opened to him that he is Bethel, that Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the one, he is the tabernacle, he is the temple, he is the gate. He is the sacrifice. 
Have you seen him? And you see him most clearly, his love for you most clearly, where? On a tree. Jesus sees Nathanael under a tree, and we see Jesus on a tree, and we see his incredible love stretched out for us. That though we doubt, that though we sin, in love, he hung on a tree and bled for you and me. He sees you, he loves you. Do you see him? Do you need to come to him this morning? Do you need to come and and ask for prayer this morning to receive him, to follow him? Finally, who can you tell? It's a wonderful example here, wonderful example of how Philip goes and he gets Nathaniel. You see it earlier in the chapter as well. Andrew is going and getting his brother Peter and he's saying, you gotta come see this. Come and see, come and check it out for yourself. Come and see this one who has come, this one who sees you, who knows everything about you and still loves you. The one who sees you to the core and loves you all the way to the cross hangs on a tree for you and for me. One of the things we believe around here is that missionaries are not just the people that go across the world to the Middle East or to hard-to-reach places, but every person, every believer is a minister and a missionary. Who do you need to tell? Who do you need to give a Bible to? Who do you need to invite and say, come and see? Look, just open, please open the pages. Let me open the pages with you and show you Jesus. He sees you. Have you seen him? Who can you tell? Pray with me. I want to invite you this morning, and if you need prayer, there's something that you know God sees, there's a doubt you have, you want to place your trust in Jesus, there's going to be folks at prayer stations here, we would love to pray with you, we would love to pray with you, we would love to pray for you. Father God, thank you this morning that though sovereign and infinite and all-powerful, totally above us, you have come to us in Jesus and you have come not from the places of power of Rome or Washington, D.C. and New York City, but you have come from Nazareth as one weak, as one for those who are weak and helpless and vulnerable. And thank you that, Jesus, you showed your great love for us on a tree that you hung and bled for us so that we could look to you and say, he cares. He loves me. He bled for me. I can trust him. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to save us. And Jesus, we look forward to your soon return when we will be with you in Jerusalem a new Jerusalem, a new kingdom. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you empower us, not just the professionals, not just the the missionaries who are paid 
to take the gospel, but would you empower us right here in Frisco and McKinney and Plano and Allen and Salina, wherever we go, wherever we work this week, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, would you help us to be ministers and missionaries? Would you empower us, give us courage to invite people to come and see one from Nazareth? Come and see one who bled for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, empower us. Oh, Holy Spirit, use us. For the glory of Jesus, we pray.